0: You have a Pew Bible in front of you. You can find that on page 697. And again, the reading comes from Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 43. Matthew Matthew chapter 21 Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their coats, cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? they asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus entered the temple temple courts, and when he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say, from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to, you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him." Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, who, was, who put a wall around it, dug, in, dug a winepress in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. The tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to the wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crops at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: So I begin with a word of explanation why we're reading an Easter text at Christmas time. Because uh, the reading begins with a triumphal entry, which we normally use just before Easter, rather than just before Christmas. But for those of you who've been here for a while, you would realize that we've jumped from Matthew 10 to Matthew 21 uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, If you haven't been here regularly or for a while, then let me catch you up with what we're doing and then how it plays into today's reading on the Triumphal Entry. The New Testament, like our own era, is situated in in the midst of a broken world. As you listen to Megan share about the Ministry of International Justice Mission, it's quite clear that our world is broken. The interventions they stage, whether it be uh, prostitution, sex slavery, whether it be indentured servitude in India, whether it be land grabbing in Africa, realize that we're in a broken world. Or as Emily prayed about the gun violence in this country, well, on the one hand, you have abortion and then Some people think it's okay to kill those who provide abortion. On the other hand, you have people who want to institute greater gun control, and yet they think it's okay to kill babies. Uh, Not commendable, but still tolerable. So it's a broken, messed up world. Well, Israel would have realized in the first century, in this time of this reading, a broken, messed up world. This is not the world that God created. God created Eden In all of its glory and its beauty and its wholeness, it wasn't a world where children need liver transplants. It wasn't a world with violence. And yet the world fell. And so as we surveyed last year, God had a purpose to restore Eden. And he chose Abraham and his descendants. He chose to restore Eden through Israel. And he promised Abraham, the one man, that from him would come a great many descendants a nation, that they'd have a land of their own, and that through them God would reach and restore the entire world. So all the world would come back to God through Israel, through the blessing of God. All God asked of Israel was that they worship and obey. And Israel refused, persistently. And God kept warning and Israel kept rejecting. So finally God sent Israel into exile. Not to condemn the nation, not to destroy the nation, but to discipline. With the promise that once they repented, then God would bring them back to the land. And then the reign of God would start. And so they repented in exile, and God brought only maybe about 10%, but God brought them back. Only about 10% wanted to come back. Their lives were were, uh, already settled in another country. But a minority of them came back. But their lives still weren't Edenic or idyllic. Their lives were still difficult. Still they were oppressed. Still they were poor. Still there was conflict. And worse yet, still they did not worship God alone. Still they did not obey God. And the prophets had promised that God would bring them back. They would worship God alone. They would obey Him. And God had promised that He'd give them a king to reign over them to lead them back into relationship with God, to lead them into safety, to lead them into world dominance. So all this God had promised. And yet, when we end the Old Testament, they're not worshiping God alone, they're not obeying him, and they're certainly not victorious. The world is not coming to Israel to learn about God. And so Matthew begins the story of Jesus right at that point. Why did Jesus come? And who was he? That's the message that Matthew picks up with against the backdrop of the Old Testament, a broken world. And and notice, you know, we have one piece of the Jesus story down really strongly, firmly. We know that Jesus came, God incarnate, to die for our sins and to rescue us, to save us. But that's only one piece. And we often, well, generally we've missed out on this other piece, that Jesus is coming to restore the world. So when Jesus comes, Matthew puts the stress here. When Jesus comes, what does he preach? He preaches the establishment of the reign of God, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has come to reign, to introduce God's reign over all the world, and he will be king over all the world. And so he comes and he heals, because when the reign of God starts then there will be no more sickness, no more death. All will be restored, like Eden. And so Israel is expecting, when Jesus comes to announce the reign of God, and when he comes to initiate the reign of God, inaugurate the reign of God, with all these healings and exorcisms, Israel is expecting that now they will be freed from their Roman invaders, oppressors, settlers. They will be freed, they will be exalted among all the nations, and all peoples will come to Israel to learn from God and to be subject to Israel. That's what Israel expected when Jesus came to announce that he was the king. That's what they expected of the Messiah. Instead, what we have today is the clearest indication that there's going to be a regime change. What Israel expected was that they would be exalted over all the world. What Jesus here says in today's passage is much more painful than that. What he says in today's passage is that there's going to be an entire regime change. Now, for those of you who go to Brandeis or have Jewish friends, this is one of the most controversial aspects of Jesus' teaching. It's one that practicing Jews object to strenuously but it finds its foundation here. This is not Christian theology that was added after Jesus. This is essential to Jesus' message. The concept is called supersessionism, that Jesus supersedes Israel, that Christianity supersedes Judaism. Supersessionism, the notion that in the coming of Jesus, The people of God are no longer defined by Abraham and physical descent from Abraham. The people of God are no longer defined by the nation of Israel. The people of God are now defined by Jesus and loyalty to him. I want to show you how that comes out in this passage because it's so crucial. But just before we go there, think about this. Think about regime change in our world because this will help you capture what's going on in Matthew's Gospel and why it led to Jesus being crucified. Why did the Jews crucify Jesus? Think about regime change in our our world. Uh, Do you remember the Arab Spring, mostly around 2011? All the revolutionary movements in the Arab world? Our news sources are highly unreliable. We really miss the point of what's going on in international affairs, because our news sources typically read things through American lenses, or they report them in the way that we want to hear it. Allegedly, all these revolutions and revolts in the Arab world in 2011 were democratic movements. That was never clear, and it's certainly not clear today. What they were about was regime change. Where the Sunnis are in control and the Shi'a want to be in control. Or where one set of dictators is in control and another set of dictators wants to take control. But but however you interpret, we, we saw the explosive nature of regime change. In the, in the aftermath of the Arab Spring. Or for those of you who have roots in China, consider what's been going on there in the last year with all these corruption trials. Are the people who are being demoted through corruption trials, are they corrupt? Well, there's a good chance, because corruption is endemic. It's both the winners and the losers tend to be corrupt in that system. But the corruption trial is really a form of violent regime change. China's never had a, a peaceful regime change. So you can change within one group of communism, communists and, versus another group, or you have a ch- transition between communism and some other form of feudalism, feudal government. But in any event, the whole point is, it's regime change with violence. What Jesus is proclaiming in today's passage is regime change. So there's no surprise that it leads to violence. He wasn't surprised by it. We'll see from today's passage. He expected his call for regime change to to lead to his death. He was aware of what was coming. But that's really what's going on in this passage, is Jesus proclaiming that God is engaging in regime change with the recognition that regime change is typically violent. So take a look with me at Matthew chapter 21, beginning on page 697. Notice how Jesus starts. Now, to understand the triumphal entry, we have to go back to Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9, Zechariah was looking forward to the coming of a king. Zechariah looked forward, one day a king is going to come. And Zechariah describes this king. This king is going to come. He's going to restore Israel militarily. He's going to restore Israel politically. He's going to restore Israel economically. So Zechariah is looking forward to this coming king. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Uh, Rejoice greatly, Israel. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the fall of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Israel. I will take away the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. God is promising through Zechariah, God is promising them, the king is going to come and he's going to bring peace. He will bring peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from river to the end. He's going to reign over the whole world, this coming king. The Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south. God will fight for Israel. The Lord will save his people on that day. As a shepherd saves his flock, they will sparkle in his land like jewels in the crown. So Zechariah is promising Israel that a king will come and he will elevate Israel. He will bring them peace and prosperity and security. He will elevate Israel over all the world and then the nations will flock to Israel. And so in Matthew chapter 21, at the beginning of the chapter, the triumphal entry, as Jesus and his disciples approach Jerusalem, they come to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sends two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. At once you'll find a donkey there with a colt. And Tyra, bring them to me. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey quoting Zechariah chapter 9. Now, Jesus says, now what Zechariah promised is about to come to pass. Now, Zechariah promised the king, now I am the king coming to Israel. And they anticipated all the other promises of Zechariah 9, the peace and the prosperity and the security, the military victory. Say to daughter Zion, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the fall of a donkey. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and cried out, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So Jesus has promised here that the king is coming. So far, it's good news. But see what happens to it next. The good news of a king coming quickly returns, or quickly turns to regime change. You see what happens in Matthew 21. First, we have to back up to Zer- Je- Jeremiah chapter 7. Zechariah was at the end of the exile, promising the king. Jeremiah is at the beginning of the exile, explaining why the exile is coming. Jeremiah explains why punishment. Zechariah anticipates glory. Jesus starts with Zechariah, glory, and then he jumps back to Jeremiah, punishment. Here's what Jeremiah said. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these temple gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place, Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, you do not shed innocent blood in this place. If you do not follow other gods to your harm, then I will let you live in Jerusalem, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? I have been watching, declares the Lord. You see what's going on in Jeremiah is they think they're safe because God has promised to protect his people. They think they're safe because they worship in the temple. And God says, you're not safe by worshiping in the temple. You're safe by worshiping me and obeying me. Now, as Jesus comes in and announces himself as the king, and the people understand and celebrate in terms of Zechariah 9, now Jesus clarifies that they've misunderstood the point. He takes them back to Jeremiah 7. Jesus enters the temple courts. Just like Jeremiah had said about the temple, now Jesus says about the temple. He drives out those who are buying and selling. He overturns the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves. He quotes Jeremiah. It was said, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame come to Jesus and he heals them. Salvation, he says, is possible. He heals the blind and the lame. But he he institutes God's judgment against the temple, just like Jeremiah 7 had done. He's saying this regime cannot survive. God will not be worshiped at this temple. God will not bless through this temple. This temple will not survive. The city will not survive. Jesus is declaring the reign of God, but it won't come through that temple. The reign of God won't come through that city. Instead, he explains how it, a little bit more about how it does come. See. Basically, what he's proclaiming here is the rejection of the old regime. We take a look at the next passage in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, 18 and 19. You know the story, many of you. Jesus goes out and sees a fig tree. He's hungry. The fig tree has no figs on it. He can't eat it. He gets angry and he curses the fig tree. What a weird story, right? I mean, if you went to pick apples... Oh, this year, I went to pick peaches. And I called up the... I I never get it on time. I'm too busy to get to it on time. Finally, the season's about to be over. I go to pick peaches. But I I know the season's at the end. I call them up and say, do you have peaches? Oh, yeah, we're picking peaches. Another day or two, we we got peaches. Only one one or two more days. So I rush down to pick peaches. And you gotta... Buy them by the case, you know, by the half bushel. And I get out in the orchard, and it's been picked bare. I mean, I spent 20 minutes to find a tree with any peaches on it, and they're really little peaches. And you know, I mean, they, they taste okay, but there's just a few little peaches. I don't, I, you pay more to buy, pick your own peaches at the orchard than you do buy them at the grocery store, you realize. So I, I don't, if I'm going to pick my own, I, I, and I don't get a discount, I want some decent peaches. Now I got annoyed. And I said something to the people that charged me the money to go in and pick the peaches. But I didn't chop the tree down. Right? I didn't even cuss out the people who said, let me in, you know. I'm a pastor, even if I want to cuss, I can't, because they might not recognize me, you know. What's going on here? Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. He saw a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, found nothing on it except leaves, and he said to it, may you never bear food again. And immediately the tree withered. Does Jesus have anger issues? (laughs) I think we got some guys sitting over here who have anger issues. But anyway, (laughs) okay, (laughs) mind. You see, in the Old Testament, the fig tree, a fig was a mainstay crop in Israel. In the Old Testament, the fig tree and figs are a symbol, they're emblematic of Israel. Jesus has just cast the money changers out of the temple. Jesus has just rejected the current regime and its practice of worship at the temple. And now he follows that up with a symbolic action. The fig tree represents Israel. Early in the morning as Jesus was back on his way into the city, he was hungry. He saw a fig tree by the road. He went up to it and found nothing. Jesus is representing God interacting with Israel. God comes to Israel and to the temple. Expecting worship, and he finds nothing, Uh, not not godly worship. And so as Jesus curses the fig tree, so God is going to curse Israel and its temple and its capital city. There's a regime change coming. The next passage, you're skipping down a few verses, makes the same point. Jesus tells a parable about two sons in a vineyard. What do you think? He talks to his uh, opponents, the Pharisees. Well, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. And he went to the first son and said, look, go out and do some work for me. Go work in the vineyard. And the son says, no, I won't. But later on, he changed his mind, and he did. And the second son, he speaks to the other son. He says, go out. And the second son says, sure, I will. But he doesn't go. Which of those did what his father wanted? And the first, his opponents answered. Well, it's just like you, he said. You said you'd worship God and lead the nation in worship, but you didn't. So instead, the dregs of our society, the tax collectors, the collaborators, the prostitutes, they're entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. You see his point? There's a regime change. God will be worshipped. The reign of God is beginning. But it's not going to look like what you thought it was going to look like. It's not going to be the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders leading it. It's going to be the dregs of the society. Because while they said they'd lead worship, they didn't. And while the second group said they wouldn't, they did come to Jesus. So there's a regime change. Jesus says, he is the king, the coming king. So all who come to him in faith will be invited into this regime. And those who turn away from him will be rejected from it. And the next passage makes the same point. A third or fourth time, really, in this chapter that Jesus talks about the regime change. And he tells another parable about vineyards. There was a landlord who planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it. He dug a wine press. He built a watchtower. He did all the things a good landlord would do to set up a vineyard. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he moved away. But when harvest time came, he sent his servants to come and collect his fruit. The tenants seized, uh, seized his servants, and they beat them. They killed one. They stoned a third. And they sent other, he sent other servants to them, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son, and they said, Let's kill the heir, because then we can own the vineyard. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And his opponents replied, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Do you see the same message here? That God had planted a vineyard. He planted Israel and the temple and Jerusalem. God planted a vineyard in the Middle East. And he invited them to worship him and obey him. And when he looked for reciprocation from them, for all the grace he'd shown them, when he looked for reciprocation from him, they gave him nothing. And instead, they rejected one prophet after another. Some they imprisoned, some they killed. So finally, he sent his son. Now Jesus is predicting what's about to happen to him. They finally, they sent his son, and they killed his son. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And so this again is Jesus declaring that a regime change is about to come, because he's the king, and he hasn't been acknowledged as king. And so Jesus says in verse 43, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you, and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Therefore, I say to you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Do you see what this is? It's a a proclamation, Jesus' word, that God is no longer going to work through the nation of Israel, no longer going to work through the city of Jerusalem, no longer going to work through the building that is the temple. The reign of God, the authority and the, pur- pur- the purposes of God will now be taken from Israel and be given to another, will be taken from, away from elite Israel and be given to another people, a people who will produce its fruit. Now, Jesus doesn't yet tell us who it will be given to. The gospel's not over. He'll tell us that subsequently. All he tells us at this point is that there is going to be a regime change. A change from Israel as the people of God. A change from Israel as the land where God is especially present. A change from the temple as the place where God is to be worshipped above all. There's a change from, he's telling us here. It'll be later chapters that he tells us a change to what? So far, mid-story, what does this say to us? First of all, It never gives any justification for the brutality that's been shown toward Israel over the centuries. It doesn't justify Luther's antagonism toward Jews. It doesn't justify the Nazi antagonism, the Holocaust. None of this justifies violence. There is nothing in here about the new regime is going to afflict the old. That's in God's hands. How he deals with his former people. There's no justification for violence or prejudice or discrimination against Jews in this passage. That's up to God and his one-time people. A second lesson that we take from this passage is that if we claim to be the people of God, we bear verse 43 in mind. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you, he says to the Israel's leaders and will be given to a people who will produce its fruit." You know, there is this odd theology that circulates in some Christian circles that all you have to do for salvation is to believe in Christ, put your faith in Christ, and then you'll be saved. That's totally inconsistent with Old Testament and with New Testament both. What does Jesus say here? The kingdom of God will be taken away from elite Israel and be given to a people, not just any random people, but to a people who will produce its fruit. So we need to learn, as Israel should have learned from its exile, that God will not tolerate worship of other gods, that God will not tolerate disobedience. As Israel should have learned that from its exile, so we should learn, as the people of God, we should learn from Israel that God expects reciprocation, that God calls us to worship, that he calls us to obedience. We have the reign of God through the mercy of Christ, provided we prove ourselves to be a people who produce its fruit. This passage is mostly an explanation of why God turned from Israel, but it also is a reminder to us to do what Israel failed to do. Now, a third point I want to draw from this passage, because it's relevant every decade or two, something comes up, it's not immediately relevant now, but you'll remember, those of you who have been around for a while, been Christians for a while, you'll remember the year 2000, as we were turning over to a new millennium and all this excitement about maybe Jesus is going to come back. There is a school of thought among some Christians that all the promises of God to Israel will one day be fulfilled for Israel. There's a school of thought that you know uh, Israel's reconstitution as a nation and the, the rebuilding of the well, that Israel's reconstitution as a nation is a sign of what God is about to do, that Jerusalem will revert to full control under Israel, that the temple will be rebuilt and the mosque that's currently on that ground will be destroyed, and that this is all the fulfillment of God's promises. What Jesus says here is that the promises of God and the kingdom of God have transferred from Israel He doesn't tell them who they've transferred to, but they're leaving from Israel. So we want to be very careful with our futuristic uh, speculations, not to suppose that all these promises still apply to Israel. Because in this passage, Jesus tells us, God has superseded Israel. And we will soon learn in the next couple of chapters who takes Israel's place. For us, the main takeaway is this, though. Verse 43. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Let us produce the fruit that God calls for in his kingdom, that we worship him alone and that we obey him faithfully. Let's pray together. Father, some parts of your word are comfortable. Some of them make us uncomfortable, and our culture even more so. Help us to be gracious to all people, not arrogant in our calling, recognizing that our calling, too, is conditional. We ask for you to guide us as we relate to you, as we relate to our world, and as we worship you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.